and welcome back once again to Single Malt Matters, the American Single Malt Whiskey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Matt Drew, back again with, uh, with something a little bit different, uh, and, but with someone uh, that, that we know well and is well-known in the American Single Malt Whiskey community, uh, Mr. Steve Hawley from Westland Distillery. Steve, welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back, Matt. Yeah, you bet. Uh, so the, the reason why we're talking today... I mean, and there's a ton of different things we could talk about, but the one thing specifically that we're here to discuss is the judgment of Westland. And first of all, from a marketing perspective, man, I have to I have to commend you on this because it is it is so relevant and 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 necessary. Anyone who's ever seen uh, the the movie uh, was it Bottle Shock? Bottle Shock, yeah. And about uh, uh, with Chateau Montalena in in Napa and uh, the the judgment of Paris and that whole thing about how they came out of nowhere and just sort of surprised the world with this world class wine uh, that nobody saw coming. I think it because that was what the seventies. Yeah, mid seventies. Yeah. Um, that was so long ago. At the time, it was just it was completely groundbreaking. But between then and now, the idea of of specifically uh, an American wine culture and the Napa Valley. I mean, it's just kind of ubiquitous anymore. So, so that whole thing has sort of been taken for granted, uh, revived in large part due to the movie, which was fantastic because I'll be honest with you. I'd never heard of it up until the movie. I mean, I had heard of it, but I didn't really know anything specifically about it. Yeah, that was a good movie. That was a uh, Chris Pine, right? Um, is that his name? Chris Pine? Yeah. God, it's, yeah. it's been, and what's the guy, his name? That, he, the guy that's in uh, Star Trek, the new Star yeah, Trek. Yeah. Movies. The new one. Yeah. The new ones. Yeah. Bottle shock came out when Chris Pine was basically in every movie, I think for a few years. Um, and that was a good one. Yeah. And that was with, um, uh, so Steven Spurrier, who is the wine merchant from London who brought these, California wine, you know, at the time, nobody had ever heard of California wine. What is that? Right. And he, he said, Oh, I'm going to bring these California wines to Paris and pit them against the vaunted Bordeaux of the world to see, you know, where they stack up. Right. And, uh, Stephen Spurrier was played by, uh, who's that fella from Harry Potter, the, the teacher. Yeah. And I always, I always think of like, he, he always plays a bad guy. And wasn't yeah, he also yeah. in like the Die Hard movies? Die Hard, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is embarrassing was... that neither of us can summon the the name. Uh, but well, <laughs> I'm gonna here, while you're talking, I'm gonna Google this real quick. It's bugging me. <laughs> but yeah, and, you know, you you mentioned timing, Matt. You know, that, that was a big question for us at at Westland is when is the right time to do this? Because if I'm being completely honest, we've been talking about this idea for years. And it really came from the fact that everybody wanted to call us. You got it. Go ahead. What is his name? Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Yes. Thank you. Alan Rickman. Um, so, yes, good movie. All your listeners should go out and watch that. It's entertaining and, yes, informative, isn't it? Um, well, I mean, it, and, and so, so, so relevant to this time right now in American whiskey culture and American single malt. Uh, because I think inarguably, and, and, and uh, let's back up, uh, and I don't, I mean, I don't know if you wanted me to mention this or not, but also as, as the founder of the American Single Malt Whiskey Commission, you mm-hmm. have a little bit, uh, a bigger stake in the game as well, because this is all really sort of at the, the fundamental core purpose of the commission, and it has to do with awareness and education and really helping people understand on both sides of the fence, A, what the potential of American single malt whiskey is, but then the other side of it, what it already is. And this seems to be really what that's what this is all focused on. Yeah, exactly. Um, American single malt whiskey still raises eyebrows when you say that, you know, whether you're here in America or abroad, you know, people, a lot of people still haven't heard of it. Um, shit, there's some people that say single malt can only be made in Scotland still. You know, there, there's a lot of kind of misunderstanding out there and a lot of, you know, preconceptions that we constantly have to talk people through. Um, but then certainly once you get 
people to understand that American single malt, well, that single malt can absolutely be made in America, then it becomes a question of, yeah, but is it any good, right? Um, so, you know, Westland, for example, we're over 10 years old. Uh, we've been dedicated exclusively to single malt the entire time. We've been working on not only introducing Westland, but introducing everybody to an entirely new category of whiskey. And, you know, along with that comes a healthy dose of skepticism. And, and look, I don't, I don't begrudge people for, you know, being a little hesitant, but I think you talk about timing. That was, that was the, the first part of your question is, you know, we felt the timing was right. Westland's 10 years old. You know, we still believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. So building the category is just as important as building our own brand. You know, and the idea for the judgment of Wesson was absolutely inspired by the judgment of Paris. Um, and it came from, you know, years and years of trying to distance ourselves from the word craft. And now that can be a whole nother episode, right? But at Westland, you know, we never wanted to be a craft distillery. Come by us because we're local, support the little guy. You know, we wanted to be a single malt whiskey distillery that happened to be in Seattle, that happened to be in the United States. And we wanted to bring, you know, an American voice to the world of single malt. And, you know, the craft comparisons just kind of distracted from that, you know, you know, we're not craft beer here. Craft beer, you know, came about because people were tired of drinking big, bland, yellow beer, you know, and they wanted something flavorful and they wanted something different. That doesn't really exist in whiskey. You know, the, the big bourbon distilleries in this country are making great whiskey at a great price. There's great Scotch whiskey. There's great Japanese whiskey, there's great single malt coming from all over the world. So to kind of pigeonhole us into this craft conversation didn't make a lot of sense. And to us, we, we answered that question by talking about the judgment of Paris all the time. You know, that was a much more apt comparison that, that, that we were trying to draw, right? Which is, we're not trying to make a copy of Scotch whiskey here in Seattle. Um, we're trying to make something that's a reflection of who we are and where we come from. Um, but we're also trying to push single malt into new directions. And we think that what we're doing is just as worthwhile, even if it's different, right? And that's the same idea of California wine back in the 70s. You know, it's not French wine, but it should be evaluated on its own merits. Um, and it was at the Judgment of Paris. And, you know, you'll find a lot of people, uh, even to this day, but certainly back then, the, the French papers wouldn't even write the story because the California wines ran the table, right? Beat the pants off all the French wines. So, you know, when we sat back and we said, look, we're, we're 10 years old now. Um, and this was a couple of years ago, admittedly, when we started trying to get this off the ground and the pandemic kind of got in our way. So it kept getting delayed, you know, six months here, uh, three months there, but we finally got this off the ground and we said, it's, it's 10 years for Westland. You know, the, the pundits have, have given us praise. You know, our, our whiskeys have scored well across the world at competitions and, and by the quote experts. Um, but we felt it was time to really measure ourselves against, you know, the great whiskeys of the world. And that's Scotch whiskey, certainly. But, you know, it's whiskeys that are coming out, single malt whiskeys that are coming out from all regions uh, across the world. So we thought now's a good time to kind of put ourselves out there and take a risk and, and see what people really think. And so you launched this, uh, what, back in October in London? Yeah, we launched this in October at the Whiskey Show in London, which is a really great event to, to kind of unveil this. Uh, I was upstairs in a room uh, for three days and I, I, I had 250 people come through in groups of 20 over the course of three days to take this test. And you know, there you're in the belly of the beast, right? Uh, you're in the UK, you know, and you have a lot of opinions there. Uh, you have a lot of a lot of uh, whiskey drinkers with experience, um, and also with that experience, you know, a healthy dose of preconceptions. And blind tasting whiskeys is all about eliminating those preconceptions, right? And coming in completely blind, with with no information on the whiskeys other than their four different single malts from four different regions around the world. And you have to judge them on their own merits. And it was really great to see those initial sessions were, were just filled with amazing reactions because people, you know, people thought they could pick out certain whiskeys, thought they, you know, had 
had the experience and the palate and and look i'm not saying that they don't what i am saying is that blind tasting whiskey no matter who you are is extremely difficult uh, we do it on a weekly basis at westland you know experts do it across the world and will admit man this is this is a very challenging exercise well i mean and i i, I think you know you hit on something that's so important which is to a large extent perception is reality if you tell yourself you're going to have a particular experience, odds are you're going to have some semblance of that experience just because you're telling yourself you're going to uh, of ahead of time. Yeah. So that's no, that's that's genius. That's genius. Yeah, um, tasting tasting a whiskey without the bottle in front of you or without a big banner uh, behind the person you're you're tasting with is you know, is a different experience. And I try and do it as much as possible. I prefer to drink whiskeys that way. You know, if, if I have friends over, we always do blind tastings together. Uh, Cause it's just a, it's a better way to evaluate the whiskeys and it's, it's a more fun experience, you know? So that's what you've got in front of you. You've got four different single malls from four different regions across the world. Um, you know, we wanted to do as much as we could what we did in London where we had people in person, but as, as the weeks and months progressed, you know, this pandemic didn't go away, you know, winter came again and we ended up doing more of what you and I are doing right now, where I would have to send a kit. Um, and we would get groups of people on, on, uh, virtual tastings and, and whatnot. But, um, I think that ultimately limited to the number that we could do. Uh, but, Still, at the end of the day, we've done uh, nearly 2,000 different tastings. Um, 2,000 wow. people have taken the tasting. So, you know, the numbers, I feel, are legitimate because we got enough people to do this. And from all over the world, too, which is important. All over the you world, know, you're, yep. All you're, not, the you're world. not talking about a, a specific uh, subset of a population that's, that's got a palate that's more attuned to a particular thing. So you got a good no, not at all. variety. Well, and at the same time, not just kind of whiskey aficionados either you know there were there were um, civilians i guess i'll call them <laughs> at, at many of these tastings so um yeah i think that you know we came into this with a number of questions you know the first question was obviously how are we going to perform we took a big risk doing this you know wesson could have scored low could have come in last um and that didn't pan out, so I'm I'm grateful to that. Uh, in fact, we were uh, uh, the highest scoring whiskey of the four. Um, but also, you know, I expected, I think, a little bit of regional um, variation to the data, and I didn't see that either. You know, it's not like uh, all the folks that took it in the UK had a different impression than uh, the people in Canada, for instance um or in japan um, or in the u.s obviously we've done a lot in the u.s so it was very eye-opening to see how consistent the scores were not not only um across the whiskeys but across the world as well so i've got this kit in front of me and i've got four bottles uh and i don't what'd you say we just jump in yeah, let's do it. So you've got four bottles. Again, four single malts from four different regions across the world. You don't know what they are. Uh, they're just numbered one through four for you. And you're going to taste them and nose them. At the bottom of your of your um, tasting mat there is a little QR code. If you scan that with your phone, it'll bring you to a page where you can rank these, uh, excuse me, where you can score these whiskeys. Um, it's actually important that you don't rank them. That's not the exercise here. You want to you wanna assess each whiskey on its own merits. If you want to give all four whiskeys five stars, we'd be thrilled. I think they, they all deserve high marks. If you want to give them all one stars, that's pretty disappointing, but that's your prerogative. You're not trying to rank <laughs> them one through four. You're trying to assess each one on their own merits. Um, so if you want to do that, I can talk a little bit about how we set this up, um, and I'll let sure. you taste and and your listeners can use a little theater of the mind here. Um, so should I, I mean, dumb question, just start at one and go one, two, three, four. If you have four glasses, that would be ideal. Um, but if you've got one, yeah, I would do that. Try and nose, nose each one of them if you have four glasses or um, 
Uh, and I do. Okay, there Steve, you go. You're I'm, a professional. I'm a whiskey man. nerd, you're man. You're a professional. Yeah, you're an aficionado, <laughs> right? Great. So you've got four glasses, which is the proper way to do this. You've got your you've got your tuliped glass, which is also important. Hey, so real quick, let, let, let's yeah. talk about the glass because, and I'm glad sure. you brought that up. This actually recently came up as a talk, topic of conversation uh, about how important the glassware is when you're doing sensory evaluation, uh, specifically on on whiskey. Talk to me a little bit about, and and I'm using Glencairn glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are variations on the same sort of concept. Uh, but but basically, talk me through the reasons for the shape being such a critical component of sensory evaluation. Sure. Um, I can speak to my perspective on it. Uh, I will caveat it all and say I'm not an expert on uh, glass engineering. <laughs> um, but, you know, you want a tulip-shaped glass because you want the proper um, concentration of aromas. Right. And and the glass will do that, it, you know, as you're taking your approach to that whiskey and then ultimately nosing and tasting the whiskey. So it, it's all about the, the concentration of those aromas um, and the kind of the management of air uh, to be very non-technical about it. Um, and then everybody has their preferences. You know, Glen Claren, I would say, is probably, you know, probably the leader in the space. There are others that have come out with um, different shapes, but but ultimately, you know, you, you end up having that kind of generalized tulip shape, you know, as opposed to a rocks glass, which I'll drink whiskey from all the time, but, um, you know, it's, it's not going to kind of give you that same experience. So there's a layman's answer to your, to your technical engineering question. Perfect. <laughs> well, I mean, that was the, that was really what it all came back to is is there's a reason why they're that shape, uh, yeah. and and now we, you can take it a step further. I mean, and I've I've heard people jump down this rabbit hole with actual like um, technical methodology for how to properly nose a whiskey out of a glass, and that's going to vary depending on what kind of glass. Um, and clearly, we don't need to do that, but the end of the day ultimately that that's the important thing is that the shape of the glass is important if you actually want to um establish a, a, a at least for your palate and your potential uh for sensory evaluation any sort of baseline in terms of evaluating whiskeys yeah i uh, the way i describe it is or the way i kind of direct people is just be aware of the glass that you're that you're using and recognize that you're not nosing wine. It's more about the nosing, right? Recognize that there is a high level of alcohol to these. And if you dive your nose into any glass, uh, you're going to blow out your palate quickly if you take these big breaths, big deep breaths in. So approach it delicately. Uh, I would say the same thing when you're tasting whiskey is to to get a little bit on your tongue, um, move it around your palate to acclimate your palate to the level of alcohol, and then kind of proceed from there. So on our website, thejudgmentofwestland.com, there is um, a lengthy and much more um, erudite description of uh, how to properly nose and taste whiskey uh, written by Dave Broom and Sam Simmons. So Dave and Sam are two luminaries in the field uh, and and looked upon as as true experts. Um, and we asked them to join us in this pursuit and to serve as independent curators for the whiskeys that you're now nosing and tasting. It was very important to us that we didn't um, pick the whiskeys, that we weren't seen as stacking the deck in Westland's favor. So we asked Dave and Sam to select the whiskeys. Um, and we agreed together on a number of criteria. Uh, the, the first thing was that they all needed to be single malts and that they all needed to be from uh, separate regions around the world. Um, importantly, uh, we wanted to make sure that there were no outliers here, no kind of tricks being played. There's no 
limited editions or cast strength whiskeys or 50 year old whiskeys or or anything kind of out of out of the ordinary these are all uh, what i would say flagship expressions of their distilleries uh, they are all comparable in in price they're all relatively the same in proof um, they're all widely available uh, across the world so we wanted to make sure that we were uh, not throwing any curveballs in there. Um, and then, um, you know, for them, it was really important that the whiskeys that they selected were emblematic of the regions that they come from. You know, in each of these regions, there were multiple distilleries to choose from, uh, but they wanted to choose uh, a whiskey that, that reflected that region properly. So those were all of the um, the criteria that we used, and and again, thanks to Dave and Sam for for joining us in this and being the ones to to curate the selection. Now again, the the whiskeys are the same for every tasting. I asked you before we uh, press record here which tasting mat you were using because we know that whiskey drinkers like to talk. Um, the world over and we knew that if we gave everybody the same sequence of whiskeys that word would get out pretty quickly which one was which so what we did was we created a number of different tasting mats with a number of different sequences of these four whiskeys so that uh, you couldn't be exactly sure which whiskeys you had in front of you or which order of whiskeys you had in front of you and that's cheating too man yeah, what's the fun in that, really? Exactly. You know, why why do you want to cheat? You know, I look, there's again, we come back to the idea of blind tasting and how humbling it can be. And I think in the world of whiskey, I would say unfortunately, there's there's this subculture of kind of one-upsmanship, right? Um, I've got this bottle and you don't, or I know what this thing is and you don't, and we're all trying to constantly impress each other. And I think that's unfortunate because I think we lose a lot of what's interesting and fun about whiskey, which is, you know, the exploration of it and the camaraderie that comes with it. And, you know, when you're blind tasting, all that's out the window, you know? Um, and not only do you have to throw your preconceptions out the window, but you kind of have to throw your ego out the window, you know? So when I'm doing a tasting like this with, with someone like you, Matt, you know, I, I try and appeal to you not to try and guess what they are. It's really hard for people. Uh, they want to, but it doesn't really matter as you're tasting them. You want to kind of assess each on its own merits, right? This is really interesting. As I'm, kind of working through these and and also i i really appreciate the fact that you included four different whiskeys here that have enough similarity to them i mean they're not so all over the all over the board like if you'd have thrown an octomore right. in here you know of course of course <laughs> that would have just yeah. that that would have blown everything out so i can really appreciate um sort of the curation of of, uh, of of the tasting panel, um, but it's also interesting because what I what I actually want to do is go through this, take my initial notes, and then I want to cap my Glen Cairns and come mm -hmm. back in a few hours. Exactly. Yeah, because I know the whiskey's going to change a little bit, my palate's mm -hmm. going to change a little bit. And it's going to be a completely different experience. And I, and I want to be clear about what the exercise is here. The exercise is fundamentally, do single malts from around the world deserve to be evaluated on their own merits? That's it. And, so and what I'm going to do. Absolutely. Unequivocally. Yes. What I'm Well, unequivocally for you, but not for many. Um, and I, that's kind of what we're set out to demonstrate here and what what i will do at the end of this tasting is i will i will reveal to you where these whiskeys are from what countries but i'm not going to tell you what the whiskeys are mm -hmm. um there's there's a couple of reasons for that first that's not the point sure. right the point is should everybody deserve a seat at the table equally 
Um, and then there's more of a tactical point, which is all four distilleries that are included in this judgment of Westland uh, know that they're being included. Um, but we have yet to come together as a group and agree that everybody wants to be revealed in the end. Um, and out of respect for that, um, I respect for them. I'm not going to tell you what those whiskeys are or even what the distilleries are. Um, we kind of agreed at the beginning with Dave and Sam that it, unless all four distilleries said, yes, we want to be named, then we wouldn't do so. Awesome. So you're making your way through all four here. You're, you're yeah. trying hard, but failing at the task of not guessing, which is fine. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the reset button on that. So, yeah. 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 So taking it, taking it back to more of sort of a general uh, qualitative perspective, I'm not trying to single anything out. What I can say about each one of these is that they clearly have their own individual, uh, more sort of forthcoming qualities. Uh, number one has has got more of a fruit complexity. It's it's heavier with like the apple and the apricot and the peach, like the stone fruits. That's coming through more predominantly on number one. Number two has this really nice sort of nuttiness to it. Um, it still has some fruit complexity, but it's more sort of in the grain realm um, with a little bit more of that nuttiness. Uh, number three has this really well-balanced sort of tobacco note and uh, a, 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 a smoke a smoke complexity, but it's balanced really well with kind of a bubblegum note that's also there. Uh, mm. Completely different. Like every single one of these is so completely different. Still, I mean, if, if you were to sit anyone down and say, here, classify this whiskey, not tell them what it is, I don't think it would be too much of a stretch to say like, okay, this is a single malt. Uh, and none of them, I would say, inferior to any of the others just very very different uh and then four four has got a really nice freshness to it uh, i'd say four is a little bit more grain forward there is a, a bit of a and some people will use buttery in a negative way i like butter <laughs> yeah 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 um <laughs> I, I use it more as sort of saying there's there's kind of a buttery richness to it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it reads as a little bit younger, potentially, on the nose. Um, but that's not a bad thing. And I think that's where that kind of freshness comes into it. Uh, all of them very well balanced, clearly very well made. Um, difficult difficult to, to go through these critically. If someone's, you know, trying hard to find faults... Yeah. Um, you know, that, that would be a challenge. And so to your point, again, good job curating the selection, um, because all, all very, uh, I mean, similar enough that you can, you can, I think a little bit more easily gravitate towards different complexities and different qualities of them, but none of them being the level of quality. Right. Yeah, that's great to hear. And I know that Dave and Sam would, would appreciate that. Um, you know, it's interesting that you point out that they're all so distinct. And to me, that's what's so fun about the world of single malt. You know, even within a country, you know, I like to talk about American single malt. Um, as do you, I know, Matt. So, you know, there's such a diverse amount of flavor profiles across American single malts and single malts globally. And that's what's so fun about it is that, you know, it's tough for those of us that are running distilleries and, and trying to <laughs> develop a brand because, you know, ultimately whiskey drinkers out there are about as promiscuous as you get, right? You know, they like to move around from brand to brand because, you know, that's what's so interesting and engaging, you know, that single malts can be so wildly different uh, from distillery to distillery, even though, uh, you know, like let's take Scotland, for instance, you know, Scotland is a very small, um, 
area geographically, certainly compared to the United States. Um, and it's chock full of distilleries that are all using the same barley. They're all using the exact same yeast. They all have, you know, slight variations in their still shapes and sizes, but ultimately they're, they're being made by the same people and they're, you know, relatively, um, you know, they're following the same procedures yet, you know, one distillery uh, to the next can, can offer you such wildly different flavor profiles. And that's what's interesting about barley itself. Um, and I think you're seeing a demonstration of that here. You know, from one to two to three to four, they're all single malt, sure, which, you know, as an aside can also be hard to pick out. Um, but they're, they're unique from one another. They're distinct from one another. Um, and that's what makes it fun, you know? And they can all be good, right? There's not one flavor profile that's right. You know what I mean? And everything else is wrong. And and that's one of the things that, you know, when we have people over, and it's it could be whiskey people. It could be people who just want to talk a little bit about, like, hey, so what do you do? Talk to me about whiskey, that kind of thing. And, and you know, I think I think that we all share a, a similar – desire to help um i'd say people explore whiskeys mm -hmm. um because I, I you know i i i heard so i don't remember who said it but i heard someone say that if you don't think you're a whiskey person you just haven't found the right whiskey yet and yeah. and that speaks to i think one it's general appeal but also to how much variety there is out there that maybe you just for whatever reasons maybe you know you have preconceptions about what whiskey is and that just turns you off uh but but it, because of that it's it's and i've done this a few times it's been really cool to take people and sit down with them with some different bottles and say like just generally like not even not even talking about whiskey or anything just tell me what kind of flavors you like like what kind of food do you like and then yeah. being able to go to the library and pick out a couple of bottles and say, like, okay, taste this. Tell me what you think. And just seeing that light bulb, like, I had no idea that whiskey could do this. Like, th right. that I could have this kind of experience, you know, because I expected, I expected, you know, memories of being 15 years old, getting up into, you know, the, the cupboard. Uh, late on a Saturday night, and you know, like, yeah, that's a that's a total. No, I don't know anything about experience. that. I, no, I can't relate. <laughs> my biggest fear in life is that my children get into my cabinet and start trying to fill it back up with water, like I did uh, to my parents' uh, collection, if you could even call it a collection, because they never drank it. I I guarantee it's sitting in my parents' house right now, and they haven't touched it since I stole it when I was fifteen. Um, and still all at 32 yeah, proof at like 20 proof yeah <laughs> but, but, but so, uh I, I think but, you're right it's all about the preconceptions you know and it's the years and years and years of indoctrination you know and people come a lot of people that are new to it come to whiskey and say "Ooh, i don't like whiskey you know and and you can you can pick out any number of you know tropes that have kind of I think hurt whiskey over the years, you know, Oh, I don't like smoky things. Well, not all whiskeys are smoky, you know? Right. Um, you know, I think you've got, you know, well, I only drink whiskeys that are 10 years or older, you know, that was all just, you know, a, you know, a, a vestige of marketing departments back when nobody was buying whiskey, trying to one up each other, uh, from a, from a sales perspective because they couldn't get rid of what they had. You know, there's, you know, American whiskey is all about, you know, aw shucks, cowboys are like, ooh, it's hot. You know, that, that, that word drives me crazy. I don't like whiskey. It's too hot. Like, what, well, what does that mean? You yeah. know, <laughs> so put and, water and, in it or pick one that's not high proof, you know? Or, or let, so let's cut out the word hot, but at the same time, let's cut out smooth. Those uh, are, well, those are, yeah two words that just drive me nuts and and here's the thing not that there isn't validity in them but they mean so many different things to so many different people yeah. but i think a lot of people really use that as kind of a crutch and it's like okay yeah. what do you really mean by that like think about it 
in a little bit more detail. How do you interpret that? Yeah, marketing over the years is just, and this look, this is coming from a marketing guy, right? But marketing has just reduced everything to these these simple and to your point, meaningless terms. Um, that it is, you know, again, it feeds that preconception. So people are coming to it with baggage, you know, instead of coming to it open-minded. And I think that, you know, luckily, you know, the world has, you know, certainly the American drinking culture has moved more and more towards brown spirits and whiskey in particular, and people are, are, are having a greater appreciation for it. People are coming from wine where there's a bit more discernment happening for generations now. And bringing that same, not only that same uh, approach to whiskey, but the same language. And that's really key, language, right? Learning how to describe and put words to what you're tasting and smelling is is really what's going to unlock it for a lot of people. So uh, it's really encouraging to see and things are changing for the better, but there's still there's still a healthy dose of it. I don't, I don't know if you remember a few years back, we like to do a an April fool's gag every year at Westland. And we did, uh, we released a whiskey called bold smooth, you know, which was, you know, the most ludicrous, <laughs> ridiculous, um, whiskey that you've ever had, but it was just making fun of all that stuff. Like how can something be bold and smooth at the same time? I don't understand. <laughs> and what does that even mean? So I, I think you're right. There's the, the more language that we can bring into this world, the better. You know, and stop reducing it down to three or four words, smoke, bold, smooth, hot, you know, sure. those things don't mean anything. Yeah. And, and kind of going back to a little bit, like when, when I started down that rabbit hole, um, in terms of trying to guide people to whatever extent on a whiskey journey, uh, I, I would not hesitate to keep any one of these in the cabinet and pull them yeah. out and serve them. Like there, there would be no hesitation whatsoever to say, okay, you like this flavor profile here, try this because this is a really well-made whiskey that I think you're going to like. Um, and that's, but that's, that's because there's so much flavor variety represented here. Yeah. I have all four of these in my cabinet right now. And that's not just because we had to buy them for the for the project. <laughs> uh, let me put it this way: I have multiple expressions from each of these four distilleries in my cabinet right now. How many bottles? So they got what two thousand tastings? How many bottles is that? It was a lot. Oh my gosh, it was a lot. But honestly, when, it was funny when we first got to um, when we first got to London to do the whiskey exchange, uh, the whiskey show. Uh, we actually went to the various whiskey exchanges we had to go to all three to get enough of each of the uh, whiskeys that are in the tasting. And I way overestimated how much, cause I was using, I was using, you know, a two ounce pour in my head, you know, what we would do at our tasting room, for instance, but really, you know, when you're at a show like that, those automatic um, pour spouts, they, they only pour half an ounce. So we had way more, we had way more whiskey than we actually needed. It's it you don't need that much surprisingly, but you know I will say and I and I've told the the folks that that I know at each of these distilleries to you know to thank me for helping them hit their numbers in in the last quarter because we did buy a good bit of it. <laughs> so I I don't know if you've made your way through all three. Um, before yeah. before I share you with you uh, where they're from, I'd like you to go to that QR code and just you don't have to worry about the comments because we're talking about your impressions. But uh, rank each uh, one star through five stars, and this is kind of the way I describe it. And again, Dave and Sam on our website have a bit more of a um, uh, a thoughtful direction about. Uh, what one stars means and what five stars means. But uh, for me, it's one star means you don't like it. There's something wrong with it. There's a fault in that whiskey. Two stars would mean you, you know, it's, you like it, but you wouldn't buy a bottle. Three stars is you like it. You would buy a bottle. Uh, four stars is I really like it. I hope Steve buys me two bottles of it. 
And uh, five stars is, wow, there's something special here. You know, it speaks to me. It's got character. It's got balance. It's got complexity. It's telling me a story. So that's kind of the way I break up the, the various uh, rankings or scorings, I should say. So again, just pop them in that QR code. That will automatically update it to our system. Um, and people for, for the last four months now have been able to go, if you, if you take in the tasting in October, you can come back in November and December and see how the scores are fluctuating. And what's, what's really remarkable. And I suppose not surprising. I'm not a statistician. Maybe I should have known this, but the scores are really evening out quite well. You know, the, the top score is three and 3.4 stars. Um, the lowest score is 3.1 stars. So in my mind, they're all the same, you know? They've all scored well. They've all scored the same. Um, and that's that's really great. I mean, that's the point we we're trying to make, you know. All right. Scores have been submitted, all sir. Right. All right. Scores have been submitted. So um, why don't we go real quickly through uh, your quick impressions again? I know you talked about each one of them, but uh, why don't you go through each one? I think it'd be interesting for people to hear. Yes. So uh, the first one, again, more fruit forward. It's, it's got more of a, an apple and um, sort of a, a, a stone fruit complexity, some peach, some apricot. Okay, number two. Yeah, very fruity. So this one, let me, we'll swig of water real quick. Sure, sure. Very professional approach here by Matt. For those of you that can't see, I can watch him very studiously assess these do, whiskeys. So all right, I'm just going to throw this out here because you probably you saw me just do this. And a lot of people <laughs> probably think it's bullshit, but it's, it, it's true. When I first saw this, I thought it was complete bullshit. If you're, if you're, if you're nosing through different whiskeys and you're doing sensory evaluation on different whiskeys, cleanse your palate, but you have to, part of your cleansing your palate is, your olfactory, right? You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're smelling, right? So what you do is you just put your nose in, in your arm and you like smell like your, your elbow, put your nose in the cook of your elbow. <laughs> I'll admit, Matt, that's a new one. That's a new one for me. So I can't, I can't either challenge or, or embrace that idea. Again, this is probably one of those, it's probably one of those things where it's just like, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy, but it still works for me because you're resetting your sense of smell on yourself. So as long as you're not, as long as you're not, you know, you don't have. As long some as you're stupid... familiar with the way you smell, <laughs> right? And it and it works. Okay, so number two. So uh, number two, kind of more more of a of a nutty component to it. I would I would liken it as time has gone on to more like kind of a, a black walnut. Um. Maybe, yeah, more in, more in that kind of, more of a savory place. Okay. And number three. Oh, sorry. We have to wait for, for the water armpit I got uh, a, transition. Not, not the armpit. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> I wasn't gonna out you, but you but you offered it up. So <laughs> okay, so as as the whiskeys open up, because we've been these have been open for the better part of an hour now in the glass. Mm -hmm. As they're opening up, uh, the bubblegum note on number three is becoming more predominant. There's a little bit of smoke that's kind of it's it's fading for me. Um, more of a kind of a sweet tobacco on the nose. But yeah, the the bubblegum. Is, is becoming more predominant on the nose. Okay, so that's number three. And we've got one last one. I think I, I remember you saying this was kind of more grain forward, maybe a little bit more youthful than the others. Yeah, and had, had more of a, whereas, and this could be just coming off that bubblegum note at number three. Um, but in that same sort of, you know, if you were to position different flavors on a spectrum, like if you could visualize a spectrum, 
the spot that is occupied by that bubblegum note on the nose of number three is now occupied by more of a buttery note mm-hmm. on four. Okay. Well, time for the big reveal then. Uh, four different single malts from four different countries around the world. Number okay. one is from Australia. Number two is from India. Yep. Number three is from the United States. And number four is cool. from Scotland. Okay. Yeah. So the, the, the two that I, <laughs> that I keyed in it right away were India and Scotland. I nailed those down and I kept going back and forth between us, USA and Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got, so I got those backwards. I started off with them in the exact order, but then I switched. Um, (laughs) And I think, and honestly, uh, this kind of leads me into something, which is I really want to explore Australian single malts a lot more. I've been hearing more and more about what they're doing down in Australia. But everything that I've been seeing, and my only baseline for comparison is just what I've read. I haven't actually tasted any Australian single malt. Oh, well, you have now, but I'm not going to yeah. tell you what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and, th- and that's what's so exciting to me because because the things that came through to me um, as as um, the, the qualities that I most readily associate with American single malts, the fruitiness mm-hmm. specifically, and those specific flavor notes, yeah. that's why I switched over because um, – because I again I didn't have a baseline to compare anything against, so I was like, "All right, well, I mean, this is a this is a straight up balanced fruit bomb," uh, and so yeah, it's gonna. And part of it too is that apple note really came through for me, and so yeah. coming from Washington State, I just naturally subconsciously associate <laughs> everything. You wanted apples. to make that comparison, yeah, yeah, yep, totally. That well, is so interesting. I, I will. I will agree. There's some great things happening in Australian single malt. I think it's an exciting region, exciting country to be, um, to be looking at. Um, I thought it was interesting that you said, uh, whiskey number four, which is from Scotland was the most, most youthful. It is, it is, it is the oldest of the set. Uh, no doubt there. Um, I think that you can probably guess, uh, which distillery made the one from the United States? Uh, <laughs> that 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 one I won't play too coy about. Uh, that is our our new flagship whiskey at Westland, so uh, available across the states and then uh, soon to be available in countries around the world. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, the the bottom line here is is that all these whiskeys, you know, deserve to be equally considered, regardless of where they're made. And that's that's the idea. And uh, for the record, too, the two highest scoring for me were U.S. and Australia. Yeah, and that that matches that matches the global um, scoring. Interesting. Yeah. Man, Steve, this has been fun, man. Thank you, thank you yeah. for sending this out and and kind of walking me through this. This has been uh, informative and interesting and a lot of fun and man i really want to get some more australian single malts too (laughs) (laughs) one of the things that we'll be doing to wrap up this project is is just sharing the final results and a lot of that that i what i wanted to do was uh share some of the comments that we got along the way you know one of my favorites in in uh in london was oh my god you've destroyed my illusions you know, which I thought was a great comment. But one of the comments that I don't know has made it into the poster necessarily was, uh, I need to get the CEO of Australia on the phone now. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think, uh, I think Australia showed quite well in this project and and good for them. They're making good whiskeys. Well, I mean, and I think, I think, but, but, you know, the bigger point being, don't judge anything based specifically on two things. First of all, where it's from, and then as a result of that, what that place's perceived whiskey heritage right. and history is. Because at the end exactly. of the day, not relevant at all. Yeah. Uh, and I will also – so one of my – outside the U.S., my number one market for the podcast is Australia. 
Oh, really? That's really interesting. Australia, if you're listening, get a hold of me. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking directly to you. Yes. Send me some olive oil. Wink, wink. (laughs) Well, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me, Matt. Yeah, Steve, thanks again so much. Uh, and I do um, kind of going back to uh, the, where the conversation started before we even started recording. Mm-hmm. Do hope to be talking to you again very soon um, with news from the TTB. Um, you know, we're all we're all waiting with bated breath, right? Yeah, uh, I'm, I've uh, I've hyperventilated by holding my breath every day for the last six years. So. Um, we're close. We're close. I, I've never been more optimistic. I do think it's a matter of weeks, not months. And, you know, I check my email every morning uh, for news. And uh, hopefully we'll see that soon. Be happy to come back on and celebrate with you when that does happen. Fantastic. Steve Hawley, Westland Distillery, American Single Malt Whiskey Commission. Man, thanks again so much. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Definitely. Uh, an interesting experience and again a really cool concept the judgment of Westland and thanks again to Steve Hawley from Westland for taking the time to share that with me show notes on this and every previous episode are available at asmwpodcast.com as well as your opportunity to send feedback on anything you've heard topics you'd like to hear explored more in depth or specific people or distilleries out there that you think are doing something uh, interesting worth talking about And that could be either here in the States or in Australia. (laughs) Again, that's asmwpodcast.com. So for the past couple of years, I've been talking to some of the folks in the American single malt industry doing their part to put the category on the map. Uh, But I've also been talking to a lot of consumers as well. And sort of one of the common themes is that they want to understand uh, a little bit more about the category and specifically how different distilleries can take the same basic ingredient and make it taste so differently. So I really want to start taking things in terms of the focus of the podcast in a little bit more of a nerdy direction and focus more on what makes whiskeys taste the way they do. And I'm talking about going just beyond the fact uh, that we're, we're dealing with, with malted barley as opposed to corn or rye. So I wanna start talking about things like yeast and pH and different malt types and barrel selection and I don't know, things like uh, gap settings on roller mills or the temperature of sparge water. Um, And honestly, lots of other things that right now you're probably thinking you couldn't probably care any less about, but all have really such a huge impact on flavor and quality. So stay tuned because the nerd train is now boarding. Until next time.